We're in Jeremiah chapter four. We're gonna look at verses five through 31. The topic there. God compares the Babylonians to a devouring lion or a fierce windstorm that will catch Judah off guard dressed as a harlot. And so the title of our message is The Lion, the Wind, and the Harlot's Wardrobe. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, thanks for our morning. Uh, Very interesting, almost unusual passage, Lord, but one that is just as contemporary today as it was when it was penned. I pray that we would do justice to what this meant to the 6th century Jew, as well as see the application for our own time, that we would be men and women who understand the times and uh, are uh, taking action in them. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name, and those who agreed said, amen. Two clergymen were standing by the side of the road holding up a sign that read, the end is near. Turn around now before it's too late. They planned to hold up the sign to each passing car. As the first driver sped past, he yelled, leave us alone. We don't believe in that religious stuff, you nuts. From around the curve, they heard screeching tires and a big splash. One clergyman said to the other, do you think we should just put up a sign that says bridge out instead? (laughs) On a more serious note, early warning systems that give clear messages can definitely save lives. Japan has spent millions of dollars to build a sophisticated early warning system for earthquakes and experts say that it helped save millions of lives and mitigated the damage from the 2011 earthquake and tsunami. While the massive 9.0 magnitude quake and tsunami flattened much of northeastern Japan, the damage would have been far worse had Japan not had its early warning system in place. In our text, the prophet Jeremiah is sent to forewarn Judah of a terrible calamity coming upon them. In their case, it was an invader from the north that would ravage and devastate them as God's judgment for their sin. It got me thinking about our own responsibility to warn folks about God's coming judgment, both upon them as individuals for their sin and upon this entire planet in the form of the future great tribulation predicted in the book of the Revelation and elsewhere. Called the day of the Lord in 1 Thessalonians 5, 2, and 3, you read, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. Now, the truth be told, you and I function as God's early warning system to a people on a planet headed for judgment. When we talk about the Great Commission or sharing the gospel or witnessing or sharing our faith, um, really part of that is an early warning to people, individuals that, hey, you're headed for personal judgment and our planet is headed for global judgment. And so I'll organize my thoughts around two points. Number one, you are God's forewarning to the world that his judgment is approaching. And number two, you are God's forewarning to the world that his judgment will be awful. Let's take a look, first of all, at approaching judgment in verses five through 18. Scholars disagree on exactly how to organize the opening chapters of the book of Jeremiah. There are a series of 12 or maybe 13 separate sermons that he delivered to the southern kingdom of Judah 
over a period of 40 years leading up to their being overrun and carried away captive to Babylon. We're in a portion of Jeremiah's second sermon. And so we begin in verse 5. Declare in Judah and proclaim in Jerusalem and say, blow the trumpet in the land. Cry, gather together and say, assemble yourselves and let us go into the fortified cities. Set up the standard towards Zion. Take refuge. Don't delay. I will bring disaster from the north and great destruction. In those days, you were warned of an invading army by the blowing of the trumpet and the setting of signal fires, here referred to as setting up the standard. And so you'd be going about your business. Some of you are familiar with the old air raid sirens. Remember that? They still, do they still use the one in Lemoore? Just shake your head one way or the other. Yeah. And you're just like, it's like, man, something's going on. Although I've noticed any more people, you know, car alarms used to, they used to bother you, car alarms? You think, oh my gosh, let's run to that car and see what's going on. That alarm's going off. Now you'd pay any attention to it. Or remember, remember the old dashboard sunshades? Need help, call police. <laughs> what a joke. Call the police every time somebody put that up backwards. You'd need a whole other fleet of officers. I mean, it's crazy. So people aren't as, as up to speed on this anymore. Hey, people around here don't hardly even pull over for sirens, I noticed. When I was a kid, when everything was better, <laughs> you ever notice that? Everything was always better. When I was a kid and there was a siren in San Bernardino, you pulled over anywhere you were. It didn't matter if you, I, is that a siren? Pull over. I mean, there just it was a clear lane for emergency vehicles. But, uh, you know, people are a little bit less apt for that. But in these days, 6th century Jew Jerusalem, there were certain trumpet blasts that's a, they, you know, uh, that, that signal disaster or these giant signal fires that they would light on top of these hills and then once you saw one, they'd light the other and light the other and light the other. If you've ever seen uh, the Lord of the Rings movies, there's a great sequence where they're lighting those signal fires. And, and so uh, you saw those and whatever you were doing, you ran for the closest shelter, the closest fortified city. And so God is saying, right now, sound the alarm. Invasion always came from the north, not because that's where all the invaders lived geographically, but because that's how Jerusalem was and is situated. Invasion came from the north. And so he says in verse 7, this particular invasion, the lion has come up from his thicket and the destroyer of nations is on his way. He has gone forth from his place to make your land desolate. Your cities will be laid waste without inhabitant. Now, this future invader is described as a lion coming to devour its prey. We know that it was Babylon ruled by King Nebuchadnezzar. This isn't necessarily a prophecy or saying that they would have, you know, a lion on their banner or anything like that because a lot of nations uh, use the lion. Detroit is a nation, isn't it? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, and, but what it's saying is that when this invader comes... It will have the effect of, being, uh, of you being ravaged by a lion in the wilderness. You know, every few years, not a joking matter, but, uh, well, not every few years, several times a year, you hear of somebody down in Irvine or somewhere in the mountains that just gets attacked by a cougar or a mountain lion while they're on a run or riding a bike, which is why I don't exercise anymore. <laughs> You never know when a lion is going to jump out at you. But it's pretty devastating. It's pretty terrifying to watch this. I mean, you, and you've seen some of these. They're beautiful, these big cats. But you don't want to be caught in the wilderness by one. Uh, you know, they're, they're pretty terrifying. 
and they, they tear you to shreds. And so God is being pretty bold here. He's saying, hey, sound the alarm. There is a lion in your midst and you're gonna be devoured. You're without defense. Verse eight, for this, clothe yourself with sackcloth, lament and wail for the fierce anger of the Lord has not turned back from us. Though the danger was physical, the reasons for it were spiritual. God was warning them, but it was his disaster that he was bringing as a judgment for their sin and their failure to repent. And so whenever we're talking about these terrible graphic judgments, remember that God is warning over and over and over, and in this case, for 40 years, he warned them that this was going to take place. It's become popular to declare almost every catastrophe on our planet a judgment from God. There's always a Christian leader or a Christian group that will uh, get 15 minutes of press by saying that the latest disaster is God's judgment. Some disasters might be God's direct judgment, but we can't really know, and so our response ought to be one of compassion to those affected and to uh, use it as an opportunity to uh, show the love of Jesus Christ. Verse nine, and it shall come to pass in that day, says the Lord, that the heart of the king shall perish and the heart of the princes, the priests shall be astonished and the prophets shall wonder. Then I said, ah, Lord, surely you have greatly deceived this people in Jerusalem, saying you shall have peace, whereas the sword reaches to the heart. Now, verse 10 is troubling in the sense that was Jeremiah really accusing God of deceiving the people? And there are certainly those who, who read it that way and uh, believe that. They think that in a, in a moment of doubt and, uh, you know, because he's kind of a tender-hearted kid, he's young and, and he doesn't know, you know, everything there is to know about the Lord and, and it's just terrifying to him to think about these things. I kind of think that that's not really what was going on here because here Jeremiah is speaking the truth for God and he's saying, God is telling you this is what's going to happen and then I don't see him turning around saying, well, God, you're deceiving them into thinking they're gonna have peace because my message is a message of destruction. Uh, And so what might be going on here is this. If you remember verse nine, by the time you get into verse 10, the king, all the princes, meaning the political Uh, machine of of Judah, the priests and all the false prophets, the religious entity, they were all telling the people there was nothing to fear, there was nothing to worry about, they were predicting peace and safety. Meanwhile, there were genuine prophets like Jeremiah who were revealing the truth, they were being persecuted and shut up, and and all the leadership was saying, everything's fine, Uh, we have the temple, God will defend himself, Judah will never fall, Jerusalem will never fall. And in that sense, God was allowing the false prophecies to flourish, and he was letting people believe what they wanted to believe. You know, God would put the truth out there, and then if people want to believe a lie, then he will let them and he will give them over to their own desires. And so that's what I think is happening here, not that Jeremiah is struggling with God being a deceiver, but the fact that the people were being deceived. Yes, God was allowing it, but you know, the truth ought to be able to stand up to scrutiny, uh, and um, there were plenty of prophets like Jeremiah and the others, uh, his contemporaries who were telling the truth, and so uh, if there was a deception, the folks were self-deceived, and. Uh, 
it was uh, their responsibility. And so in verse 11, at that time it will be said to this people and to Jerusalem, a dry wind of the desolate heights blows in the wilderness toward the daughter of my people, not to fan or cleanse. A wind too strong for these will come for me. Now I will also speak judgment against them. Behold, he shall come up like clouds and his chariots like a whirlwind. His horses are swifter than eagles. Woe to us, we are plundered. Now the destruction caused by this northern invader was now compared to that of a a terrible, powerful windstorm. When it says this will come for me, uh, it means that they are God's instrument of judgment. He's the one that is allowing this wind to come. Verse 14, O Jerusalem, wash your heart from wickedness that you may be saved. How long shall your evil thoughts lodge within you? For a voice declares from Dan and proclaims affliction from Mount Ephraim. Make mention to the nations, yes, proclaim against Jerusalem that watchers come from a far country and raise their voice against the cities of Judah. Like keepers of a field, they are against her all around because she has been rebellious against me, says the Lord. Your ways and your doings have procured these things for you. This is your wickedness because it is bitter because it reaches to your heart. Now, God's methods were extreme because their sin was extensive. They had a deep-seated spiritual heart disease. And his goal was their repentance, and God would go to great lengths to have the people turn from their idols to himself, uh, but in the end, they will not. Uh, and, and you know, even uh, just the threat of the Babylonian captivity wasn't enough to Uh, sieges by Nebuchadnezzar are not enough and so God finally allows Jerusalem to fall and his people are taken captive all to bring them finally to a place of repentance. The question for us this morning to try and be a little bit more contemporary is God's judgment approaching? Well in one sense it is always approaching. With regards to each individual on the earth they stand condemned before God in their sins. There is none righteous, not even one among the human race. Every man and woman is appointed to die and afterwards face judgment for their sins before the great white throne of God. Someone sent me a video this week of a traffic accident. It was captured by a police cruiser's dash cam. On a snowy but safe highway, a vehicle drifts slightly to the left. Uh, The driver overcompensates, and as he does so, he swerves into uh, a truck that is on uh, his right. He clips the back of that truck, uh, and that sends him perpendicular across the divide into oncoming traffic. Remember when Highway 198 didn't have the barricade, and it was just, you know, every man for himself, basically, you know, as people were crossing the highway and all. And so this vehicle, it looks like an SUV from a distance, it crosses over that center divide, and now it's perpendicular to oncoming traffic, which has no time to react. It's hit by a semi-truck at pretty much full speed. There's a little bit of a, you can tell the driver's starting to react. And uh, you don't see anything, I mean, it's terrifying. There's nothing gory or anything, but, but what's amazing about it is that the, the entire vehicle disintegrates before your very eyes. It's as if it was never there, 
when the, this truck just absolutely plows through it and there are pieces of this vehicle all over the highway. And then the cruiser, of course, is going by on the other side, so you, that's all you see of the accident. The whole video is about 34 seconds long. The accident, five seconds. In five seconds, everybody involved in that, uh, their lives are changed and, and I'm sure that there were fatalities. And so when we say people are going to die, we sometimes mean right now, within the next five seconds. It's it's that quick. And so we have a sense of an approaching judgment because five seconds from now, someone is going to be in eternity. And the Bible says it's appointed to die and then comes judgment for your sin unless Jesus Christ has taken upon himself the judgment for your sin at the cross, which takes place when you put personal faith in him. God sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross. It was as a substitute for every man, woman, and child ever conceived in the human race. And those who turn to Christ are saved. They avoid the judgment to come. Instead of the great white throne judgment of God, they stand before the reward seat of Jesus Christ, saved for eternity, uh, rewarded for their work for him. Everybody will at least get a crown of faith. If you think, well, some people are gonna get more rewards, everybody will at least get the crown of faith for having believed in Jesus Christ. But those who do not know the Lord, who die in their sins without the help and the salvation that Jesus Christ offers, they face a different type of eternal judgment. And so judgment is always approaching. And so the gospel we share, it's a warning that this judgment is coming, but that it can be avoided. Death can come to an individual at any moment. There's also a judgment coming upon the entire planet, and we as Christians know all about that too. And so in verses 19 through 31, you are God's forewarning to the world that his judgment will be awful. In this next section, Jeremiah describes the coming destruction upon Jerusalem as if it were the end of the world. That's how frightening it's gonna be. But then he says in verse 27, yet I will not make a full end. It reminds me of the Lord's comments in the New Testament about the future great tribulation as coming upon the whole earth. At one point, Jesus remarked, in fact, unless that time of calamity is shortened, not a single person will survive. It will be shortened for the sake of God's chosen ones. Some people struggle with that. They think, well, I thought the tribulation was seven years. Is it gonna be cut short? Maybe, but probably not. I think what the Lord is saying is that if there weren't a set prescribed period of time seven years, if it had gone on even one day more than God has determined, all humanity would have been destroyed, but the Lord has it all under control. We are the Jeremiah's of this generation to warn folks that destruction of a particularly awful kind is coming. And so verse 19, oh my soul, my soul, I am pained in my very heart. My heart makes a noise in me, I cannot hold my peace. Because you have heard, O my soul, the sound of the trumpet, the alarm of war. Destruction upon destruction is cried, for the whole land is plundered. Suddenly my tents are plundered and my curtains in a moment. When the Babylonians uh, would come, you would certainly not be safe in the cities, but neither would you be safe in tents, which I think here seems to indicate trying to live somewhere in the wilderness or to flee for your life uh, in the wilderness. 
Uh, Christians get ridiculed for the message, the end is near. I mean, that's what makes that lame joke I told at the beginning of the uh, message a little bit funny, a lot more funny first service, I might say, uh, especially from the left side. But uh, anyway, uh, you've all seen this in a movie or on television or in real life, and people making fun of the person with the sandwich board sign that says, the end is near. What's interesting to me as I was thinking about this, because I, I still have the mentality you know, having been a Christian for a while and, and, and of, of this being a ridiculous concept to people that the end of the world is near. But I started thinking that prepping for future disaster is currently one of the most popular activities in the United States, if not in the world. I've mentioned before the National Geographic Channel show called Doomsday Preppers. It documents people who are preparing for various end of the world scenarios. Uh, whether it's an economic collapse or a nuclear fallout or anarchy or, you know, a, 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 a virus or whatever it might be. And then you've probably noticed the movies and the television shows that are all apocalyptic using very biblical language, as a matter of fact calling it the apocalypse and the end of days and all of those kinds of things. And in reality, you know, the whole world has gone after this idea that the world is coming to an end. People scoff at the warning of a Christian that Jesus is coming and that there's a great tribulation coming, but then they turn around and believe some weird catastrophe that they don't even know about. And they spend thousands or tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars preparing for it. Uh, in the hallway after second, first service, one of the brothers was saying, yeah, there's one show I was watching. might have been Doomsday Preppers. Some guy built a $400,000 bomb shelter, but it's 300 miles from his home. <laughs> now that to me is stupid. It's way stupider than trusting Jesus Christ, you know, to save you. I mean, it's crazy. So, so we need to stand up and say, hey, we know the end of the world. We invented the end of the world. God, and, and it's not really an end. So when people talk about the end of the world, they say, hey, the world's not going to end. This world in which we live is going to cease and there's an eternity coming after it but there's it's not the end you know people live forever everybody lives forever i've told you this before if you want to catch somebody off guard just tell them hey as a christian i believe all roads lead to god people will think you're crazy but you know what there's a sense in which all roads do lead to god it's just that one is a narrow path that leads to eternal life the other is a Broadway that leads to the great white throne judgment. I mean, everybody's going to stand before the Lord. Everybody. And so there's, all roads do lead to God. You want to be a Buddhist? You want to be a Muslim? Uh, you want to be a Zoroastrian? Are there any such things? I think there are. You want to follow philosophy? You want to be an agnostic, an atheist? Whatever you want to be, that road leads to God. It's a broad path that leads to destruction and they die, and after this comes judgment before the great white throne judgment of God, Revelation chapter 20. And so uh, this end time stuff, it's popular, and it's an open door for you to share the Lord. Verse 21, how long will I see the standard and hear the sound of the trumpet? When you saw the signal fire burning or heard the particular trumpet blast that warned of invasion, you just dropped what you were doing and ran. In the future, in the middle of the great tribulation, there is this warning. 
This is Jesus speaking. He says, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. Let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days. And I pray that your flight may not be in the winter or on the Sabbath. Now, this abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel, it refers to an episode that takes place smack dab in the middle of the Great Tribulation, three and a half years into it. This world leader that we call the Antichrist but has dozens of names in Scripture, he will end up in Jerusalem after a long military campaign uh, and he will go into the rebuilt Jewish temple and in some fashion he will declare himself to be a deity and he will demand that his followers swear allegiance to him and take that mark. He will alter the consumer you know, technology and you won't be able to do anything, conduct any business, do anything without swearing allegiance to him uh, and that will be the mark of the beast midway through that. And so that's what Jesus is saying. He says, when you see that, You're alive during that time. There's a temple in Jerusalem. A world leader goes in there and declares himself God and says, you're going to have to worship me. Get out of Dodge. And in this case, it's Judah uh, and Judea. He says, get out of, don't don't even go back and don't pack a suitcase. You're just gone. Get away as fast as you can because a satanic flood of persecution is coming your way. Verse 22, for my people are foolish, they have not known me, they are silly children, they have no understanding, they are wise to do evil, but to do good they have no knowledge. He's describing 6th century Jews as undisciplined children that don't know him. They were part of his chosen people, his elect nation, but they lack personal faith in God. They were unbelievers. Just because Israel was God's elect nation, it doesn't mean all Jews were saved. You still had to have personal faith in Jesus Christ to be a spiritual descendant of Abraham. Now, uh, verse 23, I beheld the earth and indeed it was without form and void and the heavens had no light. I beheld the mountains and they indeed trembled and all the hills moved back and forth. I beheld and indeed there was no man and all the birds of the heavens had fled. I beheld and indeed the fruitful land was a wilderness and all its cities were broken down at the presence of the Lord by his fierce anger. And so you start reading this section and you think, what are we doing back in Genesis talking about the creation of the world? And you think, oh, we're not talking about the creation of the world. This is an exaggeration to show the extent of the coming destruction. If you were there, it would seem as if the earth had never been created in the first place. It would be without form and void. Don't you marvel in a terrible way at the aftermath photos that you see of tsunamis and hurricanes and earthquakes? There's always that aerial flyover that a governor or a president makes to see the extent of the disaster and you think, wow, wow, there's nothing left. I remember some of the fires that we endured down in Southern California, the Panorama Fire uh, in, uh, must have been 83, 84, somewhere around in there. And uh, in the after, 400 and some odd homes were destroyed. I don't know how many lives were lost. And when you went through some of those neighborhoods, there'd be a house just like, you know, it was just built, and then the house right next door to it, all there was was a slab. Not even the chimney. 
You know, sometimes I've seen fires before where a lot of stuff is burned, but there's, I mean, during this fire, it was so hot that the bricks burned. I mean, it was terrifying. And you think, wow, this is incredible. And God says, yeah, I can't warn you enough of this destruction to come, Judah. It's gonna be like a lion devouring you. It's gonna be like a Scirocco wind blowing you over. It's gonna be like the end of the world as if the world was never created. For thus says the Lord, the whole land shall be desolate, yet I will not make a full end. For this shall the earth mourn and the heavens above be black because I have spoken, I have purposed and will not relent nor will I turn back from it. You have to hang on to that, yet I will not make a full end. In the sixth century, God would save a remnant. We know the story. After 70 years of captivity in Babylon, the Jews would return and rebuild. Just so after nearly 2,000 years of being dispersed all over the world, the Jews returned and are returning still to Jerusalem to rebuild. The existence of the nation of Israel in her ancient land is a most significant fulfillment of prophecy in the Bible. But this great tribulation that we've been talking about that's future, it's going to exceed all the destruction that's ever happened on this planet before. The entire planet's gonna be involved as waters are turned into blood, the sun is given power to burn men, the ecosystem is destroyed. At one point, a demonic army will be unleashed to torment unbelievers. The Bible says men will desire to die and they will be unable to die. That's how bad it's gonna get. Verse 29, the whole city shall flee from the noise of the horsemen and the bowmen. They shall go into thickets and climb up on the rocks. Every city shall be forsaken. Not a man shall dwell in it. Now the leaders of Judah were telling the people that Jerusalem wouldn't fall because within it was God's temple and he would defend it. They weren't realizing that the temple was a symbol of God's desire to fellowship with them. If they were going to reject him, sin against him, replace the worship of God with idols, what good was a temple in which the people hypocritically went through religious motions with no real feeling for their God? Now this section of sermon number two uh, ends with a comparison of Judah to two women. Really they're compared to women in one of two conditions. Verse 30, and when you are plundered, what will you do? Though you clothe yourself with crimson, though you adorn yourself with ornaments of gold, though you enlarge your eyes with paint, in vain you will make yourself fair. Your lovers will despise you. They will seek your life. Now this is a, a, a description. In those days, this was a description of a harlot, of a prostitute. God consistently compares Judah to a harlot in order to emphasize the seriousness of her sin. And the description of them as harlots was more than just spiritual because, in fact, the pagan deities they worshipped alongside God, namely Molech and Baal, required them to engage in perverted sexual orgies. What God was pointing out here is that those deities would be of no help in the day of their calamity. You and I, whether it's a minor thing or a major thing, when we replace uh, Jesus in our hearts with something else, and something else has our affection, uh, I think we know that those things cannot help us when it comes to a, a real need. They can't satisfy and they can't help. And so the Lord is, is saying to them, you're playing the harlot, but there's coming a time when you're, you know, you're gonna need me. You're gonna want me. Now the things that we substitute 
they just need to be pushed out and we remain with the Lord. Verse 31, for I've heard a voice of a woman in labor, the anguish as of her who brings forth her first child, the voice of the daughter of Zion bewailing herself. She spreads her hand saying, woe is me now for my soul is weary because of murderers. On the day of their destruction, the Jews would be like a woman in labor. You know, if a woman is having a baby, there's really no stopping it to run for her life out into the wilderness. That's the point here. Babies just have a way of, you know, this is it. Uh, and, and so if you're in labor, you know, you don't just say, hey, honey, can you hang on to that thought for a minute? Hold on to that. You know, I'll be right back. I've got to go and do whatever. And so, or let's go, let's go have some dinner right now. You know, you've been in labor for 10 hours. Why don't you stop what you're doing and we'll go have some dinner and come back and you can finish this out later on. And so the Lord's saying, hey, the whole nation's gonna be like a woman in childbirth. You're just gonna be caught off guard, unawares, and a murderer is gonna come. You can't help but hear Jesus saying to a future generation in Jerusalem, woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days. The great tribulation that is coming upon planet Earth will be awful, for lack of a better word. Its coming is inevitable. We see the signs. Israel, of course, is the chief sign. But each week in our prophecy updates, we see trends in other areas that have been prophesied telling us that we are in these last days just prior to the great tribulation. And so as Christians, we should understand the times. The rapture could take place at any moment. That could be before I'm done right now, in the next few seconds, could be a year from now, could be 10 years from now. We don't know, but it's imminent. It happens before the great tribulation. I don't know how long before. It could be the next day. It could be a few weeks. could be a few months. But the church has to be removed, resurrected and removed through the rapture before any portion of the great tribulation begins. But once it begins, and it seems to begin with this man, the Antichrist, signing a peace treaty with Israel, it's on. And you can start that clock ticking. And three and a half years into that, you're gonna have the abomination of desolation. And man, when you read Revelation 6 through 19, it is awful. It is planet-wide destruction after destruction. We need to understand those times. The gospel is a warning to individuals to avoid that judgment that follows death, but also to escape the judgment that is coming upon this planet. Some of these people who are building shelters and stocking up food and all, could there be a disaster? You know, yeah, sure, absolutely. There's lots of them. I, I, I'm not making fun of people and their preparations. Probably we all need to be more prepared for local disasters, but in, in the long run, when God starts judging this planet, there's no preparation. You're not gonna be able to hide anywhere. We think that unbelievers still see us as religious fanatics holding up a sign that says the end is near. In reality, the whole tone of our modern world is to say the end is near. That's what this is all about. The whole global warming controversy is raising probably a false awareness, but an awareness that, oh, we, you know, we're gonna destroy ourselves if we don't do something. Whether it's the constant coverage of global warming, the explosion of documentaries or dramatizations of various end of the world scenarios, people are expecting calamity. It's as if the sandwich board is on the unbeliever now. We're not going, and it's, it's interesting, a lot of church is not interested in prophecy anymore. There's not a lot of teaching on Bible prophecy. And so it's like Christians have said, we're gonna take off the sandwich board. We're tired of being made fun of 
And the unbeliever says, well, I think there is calamity coming. They're putting it on and they're saying, hey, I'm building my shelter. The end is near. It's going to be a virus. I'm building, you know, under my house a, a tunnel. You know, the end is near. It's going to be a nuclear catastrophe. I'm building over here because the economic collapse is coming. And, and all the while, we know what's really coming, what's actually coming. But more important than that, we know who's already come. Jesus Christ, to save men from personal destruction and from uh, this global catastrophe that is coming. And so... Um, you know, the world is doing a pretty good job of raising awareness as to calamity and catastrophe. We should just take advantage of it and tell people that we know a lot about what is actually coming. We do. And we can read it right in the book of the Revelation and then you can say, but you can avoid that and you can avoid something even worse than that. Oh, what could be worse than what I read about in the book of the Revelation? Hell. Revelation chapter 20, you want to be terrified. Read the last few verses of Revelation chapter 20, at the great white throne when books are opened. And apparently, there are books of works. People's works are written down and they are found wanting because their name is not written in the Lamb's book of life and they're cast alive into hell to suffer for eternity. We have a very terrifying message that is true but we also have a very gracious and merciful message. Jesus Christ has been lifted up so that he would draw all men to himself. He is the savior of all people, especially those who believe. Amen.